Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Hey, good morning. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord together, isn't it? You enjoying it already? Yeah, well, um, I want to say welcome. And I realize that every Sunday morning I get up here and I act like everybody who ever shows up here should know who I am. And uh, that's a little bit of an oversight. Because we all know how famous Cliff Purcell is, right? So uh, I'm, I'm Cliff, and I get to be the senior pastor here at First Nez. And if you're a guest in our service today, I want to offer my personal welcome to you. And the nature of life these days in this world in which we live means that uh, the, the congregation listening this morning to the sermon that, that I'm going to preach from God's Word includes both the people who are seated here uh, in the sanctuary today, and also a bunch of people who are joining us by live stream, literally from all over the world. And so uh, as a way of getting our arms around the ever-growing big family of God, could the First Naz family here please welcome those who are joining us by streaming today? Yeah? Good. Good. Well, um, I get to do this because God tapped me on the shoulder a long time ago and said, I have a plan for your life. And I want to, I want to give public thanks that you guys allow me the opportunity to do the thing that I think I was born for, which is to share with you the things that I discover each week as I apply myself to the study of the Christian scriptures. And I'm finding that this life of mine, a life that's led by God, is is exciting and promising and purposeful, and I think it's worth sharing with others. And that, I think, is true not just of the life of pastors, but of the life of Christ followers, regardless of what it is that you do for a living. And so if uh, if you wonder why it is that Christians gather and do this each week, and why it is that we leave this place to go and talk about our faith and, and all of these things that, that kind of go with the Christian life, it's because we believe that this life that we have found in Christ is worth sharing with other people. And I want to thank you for giving me a chance to do that each week when we're together. For the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at our first NAS foundations, the things that we believe are absolutely essential to living as a follower of Jesus Christ, particularly one that's a, that's a part of this congregation. We have a mission. It was given to us by Jesus himself. He said very plainly to his first followers, I want you to go and make more disciples for me. And we think that disciples essentially are are people who do three things. They connect with God and other people. They do something so that they, intentionally so, so that they can grow in their faith. And then they enter into this life of service, of just doing things that help other people as a way of serving the Jesus who we believe is God and whom we worship. And so today, we're going to be talking about service again. When it comes to service, what really are we talking about? Do we mean like doing a church service when we say that the disciples of Christ are people who engage in service? Does that mean that you just come to church and go through an order of service? Is that what we're talking about? What are we really talking about? about when we say the followers of Jesus Christ look at service as a, as a lifestyle? And why exactly do we think that service is one of those essentials to the Christian experience? Um, let, let me clear up from the outset what my goal is today. At the end of this message, my goal is not that you will leave here thinking, thanks, Cliff, that was really interesting, and now I know more about service. If that's what happens, I think I've failed. 
If this message is worth anything, it will result in you making a very specific decision, one to get involved in serving one another and serving the people of our communities. And that means for those of you who are seated here in the sanctuary today, those who call First Naz your spiritual home, I'm going to call you to one specific action, a decision that you can make, yes, I will, or no, I won't, that is an evidence of you taking the word of God, and I'm going to do my best to teach today, and planting it in your own heart, and you and the Holy Spirit saying, we're going to go do something with it. I'm going to call you to one specific action. It's this. I think that I will have done my job, and the sermon will have done its job. If at the end of the message today, you make the decision, I will participate wholeheartedly in Serve Sunday at the end of this month. And for those of you who are watching the First Naz live stream from elsewhere, I want to throw out a challenge to you as well. Because on September 27th, when typically you might be tuning in to the, to the, the live stream, there's not going to be anybody here because it's Surf Sunday and we're going to, to go and pour out God's love in the community around us by, by acts of service. And we'll have people from this congregation who are doing everything from yard work and home repairs to pedicures and manicures at the nursing home, okay? A really, really broad and beautiful variety of ways that you can pour your life out in service. So streaming crowd, I'm going to ask you, would you make Serve Sunday happen in your community? All it takes is finding a friend or two and then finding somebody who needs help and deciding that you're going to do that, okay? But before we do all of that, before Serve Sunday happens, let's talk about why it is that we do this. Why is it that we believe that service is one of the big three when it comes to discipleship? It's because as we understand the Christian scriptures, service has been woven into the very fabric of the Jesus movement since its very origins, that is to say, Christians have, the Christians who knew Jesus in the flesh, I mean, who literally walked with him and ate meals with him, yeah, they've been serving from the very earliest days of Christianity. I want to take a brief look at the lives of his first followers today. And if you've read much of the story of Jesus' life and of, of his travels with his first followers, you're probably aware by now that Jesus did not pick the best and the brightest and the purest people to become his first disciples. Instead, he picked really, really, really common kind of folks. Some of them weren't even terribly religiously interested before they met Jesus. But after they had come in contact with this guy, after they'd spent some time with him, their lives looked noticeably different to everyone around them. Everyone could see that these people were different because they had spent some time with Jesus. In fact, it began to draw such attention that the government of their land said, what is this we keep hearing about this Jesus guy? He's been dead and gone. We took care of that. And now there still seems to be some Jesus life in this world because the people who who said they were his followers, are living like Jesus was. Hmm. Their nation's ruling council were were astonished at at the changes they saw in these otherwise ordinary people. And I love the way that Acts chapter 4, verse 13, records their response. Okay, so we've got the governing officials. They knew who these followers of Jesus were. They were commercial fishermen. You're going to love this. 
Here's how they assessed who these guys had been prior to knowing Jesus and what they were like now that they had spent some time with him. And you don't have to know Greek like most pastors uh, talk about and preach about all the time in order to get the punchline here. This passage says that they, the ruling council, looked at Peter and John and knew that they were, here's the Greek words, agramatai idiotoi. Whatever the first word means, it means no letters, so no degrees, no education. And we all know what the second one means, idiotoi, idiots. Yep, there's the first followers of Jesus. They were viewed as the village idiots by the people who were in power, so to speak. But get this, those guys who were in power, once they saw how these village idiots were now living, they were astonished and they said they took note. These guys very definitely, noticeably, undeniably had spent some time with Jesus. Doing life with Jesus for a while had changed them very noticeably. How? We'll come back to it. Later in the same book, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, we start seeing a very specific and repeated reference to the followers of Jesus. Instead of just calling them followers of Jesus, instead of using the word church or using the word Christian, those things came much later, a little bit later in history. Only once do we see them described as agramatai idiotoi, but repeatedly we see the collection of Jesus' followers referred to this way. Check it out. Here's a passage. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul himself, this guy who's, who's pursuing the, the followers of Jesus, said, I'm going to arrest him, I'm going to bring him back to Jerusalem. That guy had an incredible experience, later on became a follower of Jesus too, and instead of traveling the ancient Mediterranean world trying to find Christians and arrest them, he instead tried to go and find people who didn't know Jesus and convince them that Jesus is, the, is God's solution to the mess of this world and of their lives. And he was really effective in his mission. Lots of people who listened to Saul believed, but as has always happened for the people of God, speaking the message of God has also, it had also brought persecution his way. Acts chapter 19 verse 9 says, but some of them, the people who were listening, were obstinate. They refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. Later, this same Saul, he's now changed his name to Paul. Paul means little one. Okay, so Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles because of the way that I treated them to begin with. Saul's changed his name to Paul, the the, the least of the disciples. Paul is detained by officials because he was preaching the Jesus message again. And when when, when he was giving an account of his former actions, he said this, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Then sometime later, Paul himself gets arrested and giving another account for his actions in front of a Roman official by the name of Felix. Uh, This is what's recorded. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. So you see this earliest, common, consistent, repeated reference to the Jesus people long before anyone called them Christians, long before people talked about the church. They said these people belonged to or followed the way. The question is, 
What way? Which way? The implied answer in all of this is the way of Jesus. The first followers of Jesus had been just like every other person in the world until the day that they came to faith in Jesus, and then their lives changed. When they agreed to become his followers, they agreed to become his disciples, and thereafter people said their lives are different. They do life the Jesus way now. What was it? that characterized the lives of these first disciples so much that people said living that way is living the Jesus way. Well, that same book, Acts of the Apostles, describes for us how it is that the first followers of Jesus lived. It says that they took took care of one another very well, that they also ministered to the sick, that they visited people who were in prison, that they from time to time would collect offerings and use that money to buy food for the hungry and uh, to take care of orphans and widows, just as Jesus had done. And what one word could you use if you were going to take all that kind of helping and all that kind of living and, and sum it up in one word? I think the word is serving. The disciples of Jesus served Others. So if you want to in any way be confused with Jesus in this world, if you want people to think you're a follower of Jesus, the way to do that is to live the way that he lived, and he lived a life of service to other people. The question is, what was the motive? What was the motive of these first followers? Why is it that they were servers? Why did service so come to be character, so come to characterize their lives that the people who'd formerly been regarded as village idiots, or at best very common, unnoticeably different people, how did they become absolutely amazing, even in the eyes of their nation's ruling class, so much so that the government decided they had to address this whole Jesus thing? I think it's because these first followers and all of the onlookers had seen the very same things in the life life of Jesus, and Jesus shook up the nation. And they, they said, if people start living like he did, they are going to shake this place up again. Lots of people want to reduce the Jesus life to other things. Some people reduce the Jesus way, Jesus life, to morality. But if you read the Gospels, the descriptions of Jesus' life, you can't read very far before you understand that morality is not what Jesus was known for. In fact, because of the way the the rumor mill works, Jesus' moral character was always the the, the the subject of suspicion. As long as Jesus was walking the earth, people were all the time saying, I'm not sure he's a very moral kind of guy. And it's because he constantly, purposely was in the habit of living with, in close association with, immoral people. People that religious folks looked down their noses at. Immoral women would just run up to Jesus because they were so taken with the guy. There was something incredibly attractive about him and the way that he lived that they would just suddenly have no shame. They'd blow past all the moral conventions and go right up to the guy and start lavishing affection on him in front of other people. We have more than one account of a woman who came and literally physically threw herself on Jesus and began to either caress his feet or, or, or kiss his feet or, or, or bathe his feet or, or wipe them with her hair. Things that people don't do now. Kind of okay with that. But, um, 
But it was this, this completely um, unexpected and inappropriate way for anybody to act toward this single man who was a religious teacher. Take the women out of the equation. Jesus was all the time hanging out with drunks and people who were openly thieves and, and, and working the system to exploit the people. Because of that, people all the time questioned what kind of person Jesus could be if he hung out with people like that. You know how it goes. People automatically assumed he was their same kind. Now get this, because it's important. Jesus didn't do the things that he was accused of, but everybody that he hung out with did. And because of that, um, his reputation was harmed. And Jesus was not thought of as uh, this great moral man. That is not what people thought about when somebody referred to the Jesus way of doing living, doing life. It's also the case that religious dedication didn't define the Jesus way either. There were lots of people that are recorded in the New Testament, lots of people who were more religious than Jesus was, and all of them took great delight in pointing it out. Man, he's not very religious, not as religious as me. Other religious teachers prompted their students to go and ask him questions. Jesus, why aren't your disciples as religious as we are? People constantly making all these charges against Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus said, no, no, no. Jesus didn't say, you don't understand me. I'm really religious. He didn't do anything or say anything to try to change how he was regarded in terms of religiosity. He skipped a lot of ceremonial things that religious people thought were important. He changed some of their religion's most important and treasured ceremonies. He took religious language and threw it out the window, changed it, broke religious laws, you name it. The Jesus that we claim to follow was not characterized by being uber-religious. When people thought of the Jesus way, they didn't think, ooh, extra religion. So... What's the Jesus way? It, it, it wasn't uber morality. It wasn't uber religiosity. There's another thing on my list that it's not. And, and, and this one's kind of tough for me to reconcile because of the way that I was raised. Being nice did not characterize the Jesus way of life. People didn't go around talking about how sweet and nice and polite Jesus was. Good Christians, the way I was raised, are supposed to be. Make sure you take your hat off before you come inside. Uh, call all people who are older than you, Mr. or Mrs. Um, we, we won't get into bodily functions, just you're not ever supposed to do those in the hearing or presence of other people. If you're a good Christian, like I was raised to be, extra polite. People didn't go talking about how sweet and nice Jesus was, and it's because he wasn't very sweet and he often was not nice. He was truthful, but he had a tongue on him that cut people to ribbons. When he saw something that he did not approve of, he would get after people right in front of others and shame them publicly. In our culture, it doesn't sound like much, but, but he would even go to calling names, something that we teach preschoolers. No, not supposed to do that. Jesus said, ah, oh, if I need to. And one of his favorites was this, brood of vipers. 
Okay? It doesn't translate very well in, uh, in our language and our culture. Word for word, it means children of poisonous snakes, but that really doesn't help us understand the severity, the, the, the punch that that, that that name packed for the people that were listening to him. How that phrase registered with, with people in Jesus' day was a something a little bit more like you sons of worthless female dogs. Yeah, seriously, it was seen as... <gasps> the kind of language that decent people would never use. Mm. But Jesus wasn't just carelessly using foul language. He, He wasn't being mindlessly crude. He was just totally committed to making a point that the people that he was tearing into had become so despicable in the way that they treated others that they were never going to get his respect. And he was done. Being nice, not on the list of 10 most important things in Jesus' life. Uh, So much so that it didn't characterize the way people thought of him. So when they thought of Jesus, they didn't think, oh, super moral. They didn't think, oh, extra religious. And they didn't think, just the nicest guy you ever met. Preaching uh, also was one of the things that didn't really characterize him. He wasn't known as the world's best preacher. In fact, most of the time, his audiences would listen and then say, yeah, I I don't get it. And in fact, his disciples, the guys that he was teaching on a daily basis, half the time came to him and said, Jesus, um, we don't get it either. In fact, they, they kind of chided him for it. And they said, Jesus, we, we, we go and do ministry in your name. We round up these big crowds. Hey, Jesus is coming to town. He's going to teach. He's going to perform miracles. He's gonna... And we gather these big crowds. And then you tell these stories that nobody understands. And when we ask you to explain them, you say, well, you should understand if you, you know, are the right kind of person. See ya. And people went away scratching their heads. Hey, Jesus, why don't you just say what you mean. His preaching soon uh, soon became kind of this odd and offending and distancing kind of thing. So if morality and religiosity and being nice and preaching really well didn't characterize the way of Jesus in most people's minds, what did? I think it was one thing. I think it was that Jesus helped people. You might have said miracles, and I would say, I'll go halfway there with you as long as you will concede that the miracles that Jesus was most well known for were the miracles where somebody got helped. Do you ever remember reading about miracles where Jesus caused fire to fall out of the sky? Magic tricks that nobody else could replicate. Instead, he was healing people. Blind people could see again. Deaf people could hear. People who'd been cripples and, and, and subjected to a life of begging for just enough money to get some groceries suddenly could walk and be reintegrated into society. Jesus was known for helping people. And I think that the writers of the New Testament saw him the very same way. The earliest written account of the life of Jesus that we have is included in the New Testament as a book titled The Gospel According to Mark. Listen to this story that he records about Jesus and about some people who misunderstood what the Jesus way was all about. Jesus ended their confusion on the matter. Listen. 
Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Man, there's some courage, right? Or something. Or you walk up to Jesus and say, I'd like for you to write me a blank check. Not going to tell you ahead of time how much. We'll fill in the zeros. Just need your signature. You're going to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, just little thing. Just let one of us sit at your right hand and the other sit at your left hand in your glory or in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I I drink or, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And here he's referring to the suffering that was about to come his way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can, Jesus, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will. You will drink the cup I drink and and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. If you follow me. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by God the Father is the implication. The story goes on, as you would imagine, they've got two guys saying, Jesus, we want to be number one, number two in your kingdom, and the other ten original apostles, when they heard about this, Mark writes, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus said, all right, all right, and calls everybody together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. It's not how it's supposed to be. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Plainly and simply, Jesus saw his own life as one big, ongoing, continuous act of service to the human race, and he wanted his followers to dedicate their lives to serving others too. But get this. This is th- this one rocked me back on my heels when I saw it again this week. Jesus, after he makes this call to, to serve, and he says, oh, and by the way, there's going to be some trouble and some hardship that comes your way if you follow me. He said there's also a reward to serving him, a a resulting benefit of doing so. And this reward is to me so utterly mind-blowing that I've I've read it again and again and again this week, and when I close my eyes to try to picture it, it, the screen just kind of goes black because it trips a breaker. Too good for me to imagine. Luke's gospel records it this way. Um... I'm not sure it's Luke. It is. Here we go. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Now here it is. Truly, I tell you, He will dress himself to serve, 
will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. You get that? Jesus said, commit your life to serving people. Pour yourself out as a way of life. Put on your work clothes. Live in such a way that when anybody needs help, you're the person who volunteers. You're the one who says yes. You're watching for the chance to pour out your life in service to other people. But he said, if you do, there's going to be a reward that comes your way one day. After all of your years of serving, Jesus said, After all of your years of serving me by by serving other people, there's going to come a day when I come to you and say, enough, sit down, quit serving. It's my turn to serve you. I cannot even imagine that scene. But I just read it. And you did too. Whatever your conception of, of heaven may have been a few minutes ago, does that tweak it just a little bit? A life of service will one day be rewarded by Jesus himself one day. We, we have this, this picture in our minds because of a little bit of scripture and a little bit of, I don't know, gospel music and a handful of, of other things that we've been told that, that heaven is, you know, like about having a mansion and Honestly, um, I've lived in homes from uh, from uh, the the house I grew up in as a little boy. When I was in in seventh grade, I took off my shirt at night. I'd rake my knuckles on the ceiling. So you know, a little house with uh, with ceilings about this tall. Uh, I lived in in our dream home in Montana, made of these big, beautiful native logs, and uh, we lived in a in a mobile home for the first five and a half years that we were married. We've lived. We've lived in uh, in beautiful places in in shacks, and I got to tell you, the size of the house in heaven—I I suppose it would be great—but it's not the big thing on the list for me. This blows my mind because I've tried to orient myself towards serving God all of my lifetime. And this 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 passage in this passage, Jesus Himself said, "There's going to come a day if 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 my life on this side of of." Of, of eternity is one where I have trusted him so much that I've said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count on him to forgive me. I'm going to ask him to give his spirit to me to come live inside of me so that I can live like he does. And, and I will intentionally pour my life out serving other people. Jesus, Jesus said, there's going to come a day when he says, okay, you're done now. Sit down and let me serve you. I had this picture in my head that one day I would get to heaven and there would be God the Father and Jesus and and uh, however I would picture them, it was this idea that I was then going to fall at their feet and worship them. And, and there's, there's certainly some scriptural evidence that, that would lead us to believe that. But Jesus says at some point in this whole thing, he's going to say, stop, you have served me and now I want to serve you. Remember the story of, of, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? And Peter says, man, that is not right. You're not, you are not washing my feet, Jesus. It is not right for you to do the thing that slaves do. Uh-uh, none of that. And Jesus says, Peter, this is right and fitting. And, and in fact, you've got to let me do this. Or, or there's no place for you in relationship with me. Peter says, 
I should be the one who's washing your feet. But if this is what it takes, then then you wash my feet and all of me. And that rambunctious, hard-headed, obstinate Peter, who usually thought "Mm, the opposite of Jesus, suddenly came around to his way of thinking and said, okay, I was into serving you and that did something in your heart that made you want to serve me? Hmm. I can't even imagine it. But a life of service will be rewarded by Jesus himself one day. Serving is the Jesus way to do life. just is. We see it in the life of Jesus. We saw it in the lives of his first followers. That's why we make it one of the big three around here, one of the building blocks of our disciple-making process. There are many ways to serve your church family here at First Naz. There are many ways to serve your own families in your homes. There are many ways to serve at your workplace. There are many agencies and organizations that that serve out there in the community that you can get involved in. Many ways that you can give a loving, caring hand to some people who need it. Stepping up to that, stepping into that is living the Jesus life, the Jesus way. And while we encourage you to to live the serving lifestyle 24-7, 365, I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that we're we're going somewhere with this thing. We want to make sure that we as a church family make an intentional effort consistently, repeatedly. It becomes part of the rhythm of doing our lives. We're going to do it at least once a year as a church family, and that's Serve Sunday. And that's why September 27th, here in just a couple weeks, will be Serve Sunday 2015. Take a look at the screen. It's going to have a schedule for you. See that? 8.30, coffee and donuts. Just come and hang out. Okay, just come here and enjoy a few laughs and a few more donuts than you usually eat. Okay, you're going to burn them all off a little bit later. At nine o'clock, we'll come in here and we're going to have a very brief worship service. We're going to sing one song. We're going to receive uh, the tithes and offerings like we do every week. We're uh, going to read a passage of scripture and get this, no preaching. Really? 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 (laughs) Applause. Yeah. Okay. All right. No donuts for you. Okay. Uh, no preaching, but uh, I'm a little excited about it too, I got to tell you, okay? We're going to come in here, we're going to sing some praise to God, just one song. Get into it and get into it fast, because you're going to give him all the glory in one song, all right? We're going we're gonna to continue to worship him like we do with the giving of tithes and offerings, because it's one of the ways that we stay connected very tightly to him. We join him, we partner with him in doing what he's doing and spreading his love around the world, and it takes some money to buy food and groceries and send missionaries. So we're going to do that instead of skipping it on Sunday morning. We're going to read the one passage of Scripture that I've already picked out that uh, is just to remind us that the Jesus way of life is going and taking care of other people. And at 9.15, we will pour out of this place, and we will serve and serve and serve. We're collecting job sites. We've got a few lined up, but we want to help your neighbors. Your neighbors are the ones that we most want to help, okay? So take a look at your neighbor's places. They need some help. 
then um, go, go talk to them. And if they're willing to let us help, we'd love to do that. And you can uh, contact the church office and we'll help get those things arranged. But we're going to serve and serve and serve until about noon. And then we'll have people working um, from right here in the valley. And in fact, uh, cleaning beaches on the snakes. So some of us will be all the way up as, as far as Buffalo Eddy. And it'll take a while to, to get everybody back down here. But 1230, we're going to sit down in there and we're going to enjoy a lunch together. And we're going to tell some of those stories of some of the rewards we're already reaping from being the people who live the way that Jesus did. See, the thing to, to, to get about the Jesus life, we look at Jesus and we see him always pointed toward the cross. And with the cross always in your view, you think, oh, that's going to hurt. And because of that, I think we have this picture of Jesus going, and just kind of bracing himself through life as he went. And I don't think that's the picture of Jesus. The, the writer of the Hebrews says, Speaking about that, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. But, but do you get it? The precursor to all that is that Jesus could see the joy. And, and, and I believe that he experienced that because he taught us that if you really want to have a life, give yours away. And so he poured his out a little each day, and he found that to be deeply rewarding of crying his way through all this harsh duty. I always have to be so sacrificial. Jesus said, no, this is really living. You should try it. And he called people to join him. And the disciples, they got into it enough that he said, go try it on your own. And he'd send them out in groups of two. And they'd go and serve and do all kinds of things. They'd come back. They'd give him reports. They'd say, Jesus, it was amazing. And when he got ready to head back to heaven after the, after the whole cross and, the, and the, the resurrection, he said, oh, by the way, do all the things that I taught you. That, that serving stuff, go do that. And, and follow commands, sure, absolutely. He said, teach people that as well. But he said, go, go out there and help people, and I will go with you. If it takes you to the end of the earth, if it takes you to the end of the age to get there, I'm going to go and do that with you. And so uh, we, we teach and preach that this is the Jesus way of life. We recommend that you live it 24-7, but we're also going to, to practice it together in very pointed and concentrated and intentional fashion on the 27th. So uh, again, for those of you who are, who are streaming, it can happen in your community. We just can't provide the donuts, Okay. Just can't provide the donuts from here. Next week, we'll have a list of projects for you to choose from and uh, to sign up for. Some of you are asking, uh, what about nursery? Nursery will be provided through age five. But anybody older than that, man, we want you to take your kids with you out there to the job site. Because remember, serving is a way that we become his disciples. And so we want to teach the kids from about the time that they can handle a rake poorly to serve. Yeah. And so uh, some of you are thinking, yeah, but it, we, it won't be very efficient if we include the kids. Right. But efficient never was the goal. Serving and helping people and, and, and doing it in such a way that it, that it clearly manifests love flowing from our hearts. Uh, that's the goal. And listen, um, the people that you serve, they're going to watch the joy because, you know, kids can have fun with a rock, right? A stick and a rock. Great. Time. So they're going to get out there and they'll, they'll, they'll ding up some of your tools and lose some of them and, and all of that. And they'll have joy while they're doing it. And that will be a way of serving the community around us when they see that we include the little ones and we've got room for them to. The, the point is not to see how much we can produce. This is not a production line event. This is, this is a love, sharing, and giving 
kind of event. And you do that at a certain pace, and you do that by getting your arms around everybody, including those who work slowly and poorly, and those who think that work's the only thing there is to do. We're going to all pull together and do that on, on Serve Sunday. We are becoming true disciples of Jesus. And Serve Sunday is not what we do as a result of that. Surf Sunday is one more way that we are being shaped in his image. Surf Sunday is, is a gift that he gives us to help our hearts to become more like him. Because some of us, we don't like yard work. And, and yard work can teach you some things about humility and love. And so Surf Sunday becomes, if you're doing yard work, the gift of God to you to shape your heart and character after his own. Some of you say, oh, I, don't, I don't like to talk to strangers, but some of those strangers will come out of their homes while you're, while you're there, and you're going to get the chance to have your heart and life shaped by interacting with somebody who bears the image of the God that we love and who created us in his image. Sir, Sunday is a gift that we give to our community, but it's a gift that God gives to us that makes us more like him. So you've got, um, you got a, a week to think about it because next Sunday we need you to sign up because we've got to match the number of people to the number of jobs and, and all of that. And you'll find uh, we'll, have, we'll have the, the tables set up here in the fellowship hall so you can look at each one of the projects and, and see uh, where you want to sign up. And then the following Sunday is Surf Sunday. And we're going to live the life of Jesus, the Jesus way. You with me? All right. Gracious God, we love you. Stand with me, please. We love you. We're so grateful that we get to do this. Lord, some of us will be out there sweating and carrying heavy loads. Some of us will not physically be able to do that. We'll be, we'll be here in the fellowship hall building crisis care kits for the, for the homeless shelter here in town. Some of us will, will, will be doing the, the detailed business of, of pampering some women who live in a nursing home facility. The job doesn't matter. The heart does. And we want to be people who, whose hearts are like yours and therefore whose actions are like yours. We invite you, Spirit of God, to come and reshape us from the inside out. Thank you for the gift of Serve Sunday and that we get to give it to our valley as well. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do what we do in such a way that many people are convinced of your love, some for the very first time. Lord, could you use Serve Sunday to correct uh, some, some misunderstandings about what church is really about? Could, could you use Serve Sunday to start to heal some of the old wounds from some people who said, I'll never have anything to do with church again after the way I got hurt? Could you use Serve Sunday to humble my heart and to teach me that I can, I can serve anyone? The servant's place is my place. And would you get some glory for yourself out of this? We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now go understanding that God's Holy Spirit is present with you. He empowers you to live the way that Jesus did. So may you know his peace. Amen.